Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazzwall Report. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, with all the terror-related incidents that have been happening in the U.S. and around the world. There's a lot of tension that's rising to the surface among our communities and our leaders. And really, what's becoming a concern is the fact that are the Muslims as a community being stereotyped? And are they all being held accountable for the terror that's happening around us? Donald Trump recently called for a complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. Some, some have criticized Trump for being outrageous and unconstitutional, but his poll results have climbed even higher. It makes you wonder if America secretly agrees with him. In that case, can the Muslim community do more to help themselves and can they do more to help America? To discuss this, I have Salam Bhatti, who's the spokesperson for the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, which is America's oldest Muslim organization. Welcome to the show and Salam Alaikum Salam. Wa Alaikum Salam and peace be upon everyone that is listening. Thank you for having me here, Vip. Peace is the key word, my friend. What is the philosophy of the Ahmadiyya Muslim organization? So we are Ahmadi Muslims. We are Muslims who believe in the Messiah, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadiyan, India. Mm-hmm. And we believe he came to reform Muslims, to revive Islam, and to spread the truth about faith. So we're doing this through a nonviolent jihad. Mm-hmm. We believe jihad is a struggle that we have within ourselves to be good to other people, to make sure that we are the best people that we can be. And we are not going to be killing others or hurting others in our peaceful jihad. So how are you different from other Muslims then? What differentiates Ahmadi Muslims is that we believe the Messiah has come. Now, the rest of the Muslim world is waiting for Jesus, uh, the Prophet Jesus, peace be upon him, to return literally, like many Christians are waiting. Mm. But we believe it was a metaphorical second coming. And as such, we believe that Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, who was here from the, uh, he was born in 1835, died in 1908, was that second coming of Jesus. But from a philosophy of how to live life and, and, and your belief in, in, in other cultures and things like that, are you different from other Muslims? Yes, yes. We do have uh, one of the prime differences between mm. Ahmadi Muslims and the remainder of the Muslim world is that we have a leadership known as the Khalifa. So the Khalifa of Islam is His Holiness Mirza Masrur Ahmad. Mm-hmm. He guides us to live a peaceful life and to be active within our societies. So we have community service events like planting trees, holding blood drives, having interfaith dialogues, because we don't believe that Muslims are better than non-Muslims because this creates a class. And what happens when you create this type of class is the upper class is going to persecute the lower class. And we've seen that happen across the world. So we do not believe in the inequality of people. So then by saying that, are you implying that other Muslims do believe in the inequality of other people, that because you are peaceful, that means other Muslims are violent? Well, there are Muslims out there. Mm. There's, a, there's a percentage within the American Muslim community that do believe Muslims are better than non-Muslims. And right. the reason why this is dangerous thinking is because if this is the only, say, crack within their belief, uh, it's that extremists can enter this crack and expand that to encompass other extremist ideologies. Well, that crack's becoming quite an earthquake these days. Um, You know, in in, in terms of your organization, what's been the action plan on the recent terror attacks in Paris and California? Like any decent human being, Mm -hmm. 
this is senseless. This is terrible. This is a, a monstrosity within humanity. So we condemn it just like anybody else. And we have condemned it ever since 9-11 and even beforehand. Mm-hmm. The Ahmadiyya Muslim Community USA has been here in America since 1920. So we are the largest and oldest Muslim organization within the country. And ever since inception, we have been working to combat extremist ideology. You know, since the beginning, our community has been persecuted for our peaceful teachings, but we do not respond to violence with violence. It's just going to breed more violence. So how did you combat that extremism when Paris and California happened? Days after Mm. the Paris attack, our mosque in Connecticut was shot up. And this was a huge impact within the local community as well as the nation. It was reported all over the world. The problem is, is that many people would think, oh, violence happened to you, so you should respond with violence. You should have protests. But what we did is we had an open mosque event just days after the shooting. You know, some people were concerned. Mm -hmm. Should you open your mosque? Another shooter could come. I mean, they haven't even caught him yet. What if he just comes back and massacres everybody? But we know that is not what Americans believe or feel towards Muslims. In fact, over 70 people came to the mosque for the first time to show their love and to show their support. And that love and support overshadowed any of the hate that we received from the one shooter. What happens in an open mosque event when you, when you have that? What, 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 what is it meant to serve? Pew Research recently reported that over 60% of Americans don't mm. know a Muslim. That means there's a significantly higher amount of people who have never even been inside a mosque. Mm. And so there's a fear out there. There's an ignorance. There's a misunderstanding as to what goes on inside of a mosque. Some people think that there's hate being preached in there, uh, that you know we uh, rise to go against America and plan for that within our mosques. So we wanted to say, no, come on in. Look through our literature. Check out our library. Check out the floor space. See where we pray. And if you want to pray with us, you're more than welcome to. We had a great question and answer session uh, after uh, a series of speeches where we condemned terrorism. Right. And the question and answer session is always the highlight because people get to ask the questions that are really uh, driving them nuts inside. Well, you know, I, I'm hoping this show actually has some of those questions that Americans would like to ask and uh, would ask you. Um, you know, I find the intentions of the Amadi community very noble. Um, but I think there's a lot more that could be done, that that could be more significant. And I wanted to share that with you. You know, I would have preferred that members of the Muslim community or the Ahmadi community go to all the other houses of worship and, and pray with them because that actually symbolizes uh, – a, a sign of, say, genuine regret, a reflection of solidarity. That, that's a very powerful um, action to commit to. The founder of our community, mm. Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, was at the forefront of interfaith dialogues, of inviting people of all faith and no faith to gather and to talk about faith. Uh, he was an active participant in the World Conference of Religions, which the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has uh, resuscitated uh, in the past few years, mm. because that is how much we care about how, how uh, um, people need the freedom to believe as they see fit, because that is a core teaching of Islam. The Quran says there is no compulsion in religion. The Quran also says, for you, your religion, for me, my religion. And why is that? No, but right now I'm talking about, you know, the practicalities when, when an, a terror event happens and, and innocent people who are not Muslim to have, uh, when they are grieving, for them, you know, for you to ask people to go to your place of worship rather than you go to their place of worship. For sure. And yes, we have been participating in interfaith vigils mm-hmm. uh, and attending their ceremonies. Uh, they've been coming to ours as well. Oh, you have? There's a, there's a great... Uh, 
peaceful uh, progress happening as of late, for sure. Because to see Muslims go to a church and and join, they don't obviously have to pray to Christianity, Mm -hmm. but then to conduct a prayer together in their house of worship actually is a very strong sign from you guys that you are with them. And I think that's where I think the American people are feeling a little confused as to where do you guys stand as Muslims as a whole. So we need to work on the uh, different Muslim communities out there who have been a little too introverted. Mm. You know, uh, and this introversion has, you know, defined or translated itself as, you know, planning or, or plotting or some, something. Mm-hmm. When it, in actuality, these people are just shy. A lot of these Muslim communities are ethnocentric. So the immigrants that come over will form a mosque. And because they're not comfortable with the English language, they might not go out and invite other people because, you know, they're just, you know, bashful and embarrassed. So we need to uh, encourage these other Muslim groups, especially these ethnocentric groups, to go out to invite people within their mosques. Now, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has been doing that. But you see, you keep talking about being invited to mosques, and I think that's troubling to a lot of people. And I've spoken to a few of my Christian friends and my Jewish friends, and they find that, you know, why do we have to go to you when you're in our country? you should come to us. Uh, and, and maybe, you know what, from a public relations perspective, maybe you need to readdress that uh, because I'm sympathetic to your cause. But I just find the strategy all centered towards us, as in the Ahmadiyas, whereas it should be sort of spreading out. You going to them and in their moment of fear, in their moment of need, uh, that has such a powerful implication, I would think. And it's, it's a two-way street. I do agree with you. Mm-hmm. We have been attending churches, synagogues for decades and participating in, in their services, getting to know who they are, what mm-hmm. their faith is about. And it's, it's really, you're right, it, it's, it, it really opens arms. And it, opens it, does. Arms. Yeah. it does. You know, I've seen a lot of media appearances from the Amadia Group and, and a lot of press releases. Um, but I was very happy when I saw actually the Muslim United Group raise over $100,000 for the San Bernardino victims. And have you guys done any of that? Yes, we're, we're working with the mayor mm. in, uh, in the San Bernardino County uh, to help uh, raise funds for that. You issued a press release and, and you said the Ahmadi organization condemns violent jihad in favor of an intellectual jihad of the pen. What did you mean by that? A lot of Muslims believe that Uh, jihad is a violent jihad. However, we live in the age of reason and the age of intellect and education. I mean, with the internet, uh, everything is just mere seconds away from each other, everybody. As a result, violence isn't going to solve anything. And that is why it was such a crucial time when Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, our Messiah and founder, came to this world to preach this jihad of nonviolence. It is the time for us to have dialogues like you and I are having, VIP, like uh, my followers on Periscope and I have throughout the week, that we need to educate each other by talking and by interacting with each other. And it's not about convert or die. (laughs) That doesn't even make any sense because you can say, yes, I'm a Muslim with your mouth, Mm. with a sword next to your neck. But what you feel in your heart and what you believe in your heart is really what matters. You know what actually... When you, when you sent that press release out, what really sort of got to me was, um, why does everything have to be a jihad? Because these days, I mean, you know, we live in a country where we coexist in peace. Uh, you pray in your own place, you pray in your own space, and that's absolutely fine. 
So a lot of Americans question why is, 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 is this everything has to be a jihad, even if a jihad of the pen? So jihad is simply an Arabic word mm. that means struggle. We all go through But what struggles. are we struggling against? And I'm glad you said that yep. because everyone thinks jihad is war. Right. It's not a war. Right. It's a struggle. But what's the struggle about? What are you not being prevented from doing in America that, that you have to call it a struggle? So struggles are something like smiling in the face of adversity, something as simple as that. Or really, it could be as hard as that. Right. You know, recently, uh, our Muslim Youth Association president, Dr. Bilal Rana, was detained on a flight when he landed in Houston. Now, this was a very embarrassing incident because he was, you know, paraded in front of everybody as, hey, we caught the terrorist, when really they caught their biggest ally. And as he could have put up a fight, could have resisted, could have been like, you got the wrong guy. But he didn't. He stayed humble mm -hmm. and he stayed calm and patient in the face of adversity. That was a jihad. And the reason why we talk about jihad mm. is because we want people to know that what you're seeing going on with extremists is not jihad. You know, getting out of bed to go to work early, that's a jihad. You don't have to be a Muslim <laughs> to go through a jihad. Right. But then the extremists constantly use jihad. As a result, they're brainwashing the American public that jihad means war. Right. So the extremists are writing their own narrative on mm. Islam. And if Muslims within America, for example, are not responding or are staying silent, then they are letting those extremists write that narrative on Islam. That is why you have more and more Muslims rising up within America to tell people that that jihad, that those things that those extremists are doing are not Islamic. And we are, we are starting to see a grassroots shift in the, the tide against Islam. I don't see the Muslims rising and, and saying that what the extremists are doing, except from you guys. There's very little else in the media that I have seen where people, the other Muslims are actually rising and saying what the extremists are doing is wrong. You know, that's, that's uh, and, and I want to come to that, but you mentioned this thing about, um, I think one of your colleagues got held in the airport. Leads me to, leads me to ask you, how do you think the American people perceive Muslims? They perceive them with, well, they perceive us with a, in a like a mist in front of us. Recently, you know, like I mentioned, 60% of Americans don't mm. know a Muslim. So they don't know what we are. They don't know who we are. And as a result, maybe they fear us. And as a result, maybe they hate us. And these isolated incidents that are coming up in the country, that hate is leading to violence. So perhaps at the lowest level, they just don't know who we are and they don't care. They're ambivalent. Most Americans are ambivalent for a lot of things. So we just need to let them know that what they're seeing coming from extremists mm. is not Islam at all. Can you blame them for that perception, though? I, I don't, I don't want to – Because the, everyone listens to the loudest voice in the room and at the moment the loudest voice is ISIS. Right. So these extremists are very loud. I would hope that people are not so you know, easily convinced mm. that this one image is everybody. So I would hope that they would research for themselves. Let's, let's be very real. There's been a huge failure of any form of civilized leadership in the Muslim community of America. There's no one person that represents you know, the, the complete Muslim community, or not even two or three prominent leaders that we can go to 
at, at, at times of need. Why, why is that happening? So Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him, predicted that such a time would come, mm-hmm. that there would be a time when the mosques would be so grand, but they would be devoid of worshipers, that the Quran would be held in such a high place, but it would be gathering dust and no one would be reading it or listening to its teachings. And that is what we see today. The Muslims are so divided and they're all in a power struggle to, oh, no, we want to be the leader. No, we want to be the leader. Is there a power struggle? There is a power struggle. But this seems to be held underground because I don't see the power struggle on, on the surface. There are, uh, there are like uh, movements mm. uh, you'll see in different parts of the world, not so much in America. No, I'm not, I'm not just yeah. talking about America yeah. at the moment because in times of crisis, there's no go-to guy for the Muslim community that we can sort of address issues with. So that comes back to what you're saying, this whole mist from the American perspective onto the Muslim community. Like when the San Bernardino thing happened, uh, we couldn't know, didn't know who to go to, where to go to. That's why uh, it's so important to mm. have leadership. That's why leadership matters. And this is reflected within the tried and true method of Khilafat. Now, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has a Khalifa a caliph, as you would say in mm-hmm. America. Uh, and this spiritual leader, His Holiness Mirza Masrur Ahmad, is the fifth successor to the promised Messiah, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad. And through that but leadership... that's a religious perspective. I'm talking about a day-to-day, a real-life perspective where we can go to a real leader. And, you know, I mean, um, your, your real leader at the moment is Mirza Masrur Ahmad, right? Right, right. I don't see a lot of him or any sort of media coverage on him or him expressing uh, regret and of course he does about what's happened but there's a lot of press releases and there's a lot of media coverage from you guys but not much from him why, why is that? I, if you go to pressamadia.com mm-hmm. you'll see press releases from uh, his office and also he delivers a weekly sermon every single Friday mm-hmm. guiding the tens of millions of Ahmadiyya Muslims around the world and over 200 nations which makes the Ahmadiyya Muslim community the largest unified Muslim organization in the but world. But what we need at the moment is not what he says to his followers, but what he says on behalf of his followers to the rest of the world. You see, those are the sort of things I'm finding that's preventing you guys from achieving the right perception that you guys need to achieve to the rest of the world, to the rest of America. Right, and he offers that guidance on mm. behalf of his followers around the world too. In fact, he just returned from Japan recently where he was speaking in the, the, the ministry over there, letting people know that Islam is a religion of peace and what the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is all about. He was also in Capitol Hill just a few years ago doing the same thing at a bipartisan event. Well, he should have been in Paris the last month, and he should have been in California or in America a few weeks ago. California he did uh, uh, back in twenty. 12, I believe, just a couple years ago, mm-hmm. too. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's, he's taking this to the, to the people. And that's the beauty of this community, that where he cannot be, that's where we are. And that's where we have that unified voice. But you see, at a time of crisis like this, with Trump saying what he's saying, Obama saying what he's saying, we have huge leaders talking about this whole Muslim effect. Uh, and he's a leader. He needs to match what's being said in America by actually coming to America, maybe, or, or saying something himself. Let's we'll send him an open invite. Yes, uh, yes absolutely. So. I, 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 I warmly invite him to America. Um, 
you know, I don't think the Americans think of the religion of Islam as violent. And, and they know the extremists are violent. And here's the dilemma I think the American people have. You know, and it goes back to what we've just been talking about. They view the silence of the majority of Muslims in these terrorist events as highly concerning. Does the silence from some of the Muslim community imply secret support of the objective of ISIS? Because one of the objectives of ISIS is to spread Islam across the world, right? Uh, but Islam in itself believes in the need for unified Muslim leadership. And I think this is what concerns American people. What, what, what do you have to say for that? Well, silence isn't exactly consent. You know, that wouldn't hold up in a court of law right. or in a court of the streets. Uh, however, if you allow them to continue writing the narrative on Islam, mm. don't, don't be surprised as to the hate you receive later. And we're seeing a lot of that persecution happening. And without the unified Muslim leadership that many of these Muslim communities have, we're going to see that. What are you doing uh, on, on behalf of the Ahmadiyya Muslim group to unify and have one or two voices that can represent the ordinary Muslim community across America? We're about to launch a new campaign. It's called True Islam and the Extremists. And this is a campaign mm. which is designed to go back to the fundamentals of Islam, the way that the Quran teaches and the way that the Prophet Muhammad practiced. But, you know, let me just stop you here. The average man or the average American on Main Street is really not interested maybe in the campaign. I think the average American does believe that Islam is a beautiful religion, which it is. But they're looking for someone to go to during this moment of crisis, during this moment of unexpected terror. And that's what, you know, the, the, the leader of the average Muslim person is what I think the Muslim community is lacking. Is, is there any sort of action plan to say it's time now that the Muslims got together, regardless of whether you're part of Ahmadiyya or you're not or whatever, but as a representative of the culture? You're spot on. And that's the, that's the exact design and purpose mm. of this campaign, the True Islam campaign. is to It's non-sectarian. You know, there's over 70 sects within Islam. And all these 11 points are designed to unite everybody. It doesn't say that, you know, Ali was better than Usman or uh, that you shouldn't be, you know, in a mystical circle like mm. the Sufis are. It talks about the, uh, the practices of Prophet Muhammad. It goes right back to the root. Everything that we can But you're explaining the religion, but you're not giving me a leader. So you see, that's what I want. I'm, like, say, could you rise and say, you know what, I'm going to be the, the front of the Muslim community, what happens behind it, and whether we are part of Ahmadiyya or whether we are part of something else or whatever, those are just, but we all have a common interest. We're all Muslim. We all pray to the same God. But when it comes to day-to-day -day politics, when it comes to fighting for our rights and, and making sure that, you know, we don't have a struggle in day-to-day in, in -day living, though that is the leader that I'm looking for, not someone who's spiritual, but someone who's sort of practical that we can go to and say, you know what, these are the issues we're having, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's the, that's the design of the Khalifa. Mm. He's a spiritual leader. And we have that Khalifa who is the Khalifa of Islam. Mm. He exists. That unified leadership exists. It's just a matter of Muslims going out and accepting it. 
when it comes to political matters, Islam believes in the separation of church and state. Right. So a spiritual leader won't be getting involved in political matters. But I think we're coming to a point where I think the American people are finding that, you know, the whole concept of terror, the whole concept of ISIS and, and everything, um, they are bringing religion into politics. They are fighting for religion, things like that. So in, in a situation like this, when we are looking for someone to speak to, going back into religion and then adopting a convenience of separating, you know, church and state or religion and state uh, is convenient for you, but I'm still left hanging. Left hanging because... Because if you're in a situation where, you know, uh, like right now, you guys are being stereotyped. And if I'm a politician or I'm the leader of the country and I need to make sure that you guys are not stereotyped, I need someone to go to, right? Right. Who, who, who do I go to? That's what I'm saying. Culturally, who do I go to? Right. Okay, got it. Exactly. It comes right back to mm. our Khalifa. Our Khalifa has gone to these places, major cities around the world and others, to, to talk to the political leadership as to who we are, what Islam is about, and how to have just relations between nations. Now, obviously, the Khalifa cannot be everywhere at once. Which is but why when he leaves America, say he comes here, when he leaves America, who can he go to? Who can... Obama, mm -hmm. who can our politicians go to as a second in command? That is someone who represents the entire Muslim community, is accepted by the entire Muslim community. That's what's lacking. That's right. That's right. There is no person like that right. in America. We do have a system of leadership within America, the American Ahmadiyya Muslim community where we do have a president yes. of the U.S. chapter, right. which uh, you know, anybody is more than welcome to go to. And then as a result of that leadership, we also have regional and local representatives as well. So all politics is local, you know, as they say. Mm. So these local groups, these over 70 chapters across the nation are able to have that communication, that conversation, that dialogue with the local leaders and the local population. But at the moment, I think across the Muslim community, I think the, the, their greatest weakness is that they don't have a common leader. That's right. That's right. And and God the, talks about this in the Quran. He says, you know, hold fast to the rope of Allah and be not divided. Because that division leads us to being in this pit of fire where there's all this discord, there's no unity. So we need to go back to Khilafat and to mm. hold that rope of God. Is it possible that maybe the Muslims are not doing enough to solve their image problem? Because you can have these campaigns, you can have a press release, and, and you, you, can, you can recite verses from the Quran, and then those are all great. But, you know, communication is two-way. It's not just what is said, it's what's understood. And right now you're having a communication and an image problem from people who are not part of your faith or your culture. And, and to go even further, it's mm. not just about saying, but it's also about doing we have to lead by example as well. And, right. you know, we can issue all the press releases we want, mm -hmm. uh, yet there's always a complaint from many people that Muslims are not speaking out and condemning terrorism. And so there, there is a, a gap there. 
and so what we face when it comes to issuing press releases, if there's a gap coming from there, maybe some people just don't watch the news. Maybe some people don't want, uh, read the newspaper or read blogs and all that or participate in social media. So that's why we have local grassroots efforts, having open mosque sessions, dialogues in libraries, college campuses, cleaning the streets even, holding blood drives in honor of 9-11 victims to let people know. And it is changing the tide. There are people who will attend these events saying, I hated Muslims. I thought you were scum. I mm. thought you were going to destroy America. I wanted to kill all of you. But when I see you doing this, I realized I was wrong. You know what I'd love to see you do? I'd love to see you go to a pastor and, 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 and say, you know what, during your Sunday worship or through one of your um, sermons, I'd love to go and speak and, and, and talk about who we really are, what our religion really is. That, I think, would be so powerful, a church, synagogue, a temple. That is a very powerful example mm. because it shows the the warmness of other faiths as well, which is very present. Mm. Members of our community have been doing that and uh, being invited to other houses of worship to participate in the sessions. And to anybody uh, who's listening from Jewish or Christian or any other community, if you want to have us on your, in your in your uh, services or in your churches or in your t- temples, give us a shout. You know, reach to us uh, on social media. Visit MuslimsForPeace.org. And uh, get in touch with us, and we'll be happy to arrange something. True Islam believes in loyalty to your country of residence. So would you encourage your Muslim followers to join the U.S. Army and fight in the war against terror? Definitely. In fact, some of my Muslim friends are in the Marines, armed forces, or the Army. And they served because they thought it's what Islam encouraged them to do. And that is because the Prophet Muhammad himself mm. has said that loyalty to your country of residence is part of your faith. And that loyalty can be translated into serving in the armed forces. And that's what I find very beautiful about Islam. And I think that gets lost in the media coverage these days that Islam does explicitly state that show loyalty to your country of residence. That's right. And in fact, if you're, uh, if you're on Twitter and you follow Muslim Marine uh, he had uh, an excellent tweet in response to Donald Trump mm-hmm. about the Muslim registration program where he showed his ID. It was this Marine ID. He said, is this good enough? But in all fairness, there are only about 24 Muslims in the U.S. Army. There's thousands. Thousands? Thousands. Oh. Then my research must be wrong. Well, does the Quran permit jihad if your country of residence is being attacked? Well, not jihad, that means struggle, right? Not war, so I got caught up in that. But if you had to, if a Muslim soldier had to go and and fight a Muslim in, in Syria, would that be allowed? Would the Quran permit that, one Muslim fighting another? So there has, have been moments within Islamic history mm. where Muslims have battled other Muslims. It's just a fact of life. Mm. You know, war should be discouraged. As Jimmy Carter has said, you know, war is a necessary evil. It sometimes is necessary, but it is always evil. So Islam actually has months where it's totally forbidden from fighting. And Islam talks about your war should always be a self-defensive war. And as soon as the enemy says, I yield, Mm -hmm. you need to stop fighting immediately. So in the case of if America was, God forbid, attacked, then Muslims are more, Muslim Americans are more than allowed to fight. Now, Trump came out with a 
quite a outrageous comment about Muslims. How do you guys plan to address Trump's comments about the Muslims? Well, first and foremost, we're very disappointed in mm. what he said. Uh, whether or not he believes it, his supporters certainly do. And this type of rhetoric is extremist in language. And it feeds into what the other extremists want. Because once this hate is brewed and facilitated against Muslims, these extremists can come and say, look, the West hates you. America hates you. Come join us. Let's get revenge. But we cannot fall into this trap. Mm -hmm. You know, we cannot fall into this trap of playing victim or anything like that. Right. We need to keep moving forward. And what we will continue to do and what we have done for decades is having these dialogues. Invite people to your mosque and right. go to their houses of worship. Go to the, Invite people to your homes for dinner, for ha have a meal. The best, uh, you know, I, I like to say, you can't say meeting without eating. Have some food, break bread, and get to know each other. And that will stop people believing what Trump is saying and all this other hate rhetoric against Muslims. But this thing about coming, you know, eating together, those are sort of lightweight tactics. I think they're very effective. Um, but is there a grander strategy that you could execute? So the True Islam campaign will be that uh, massive campaign. Mm. After President Obama's remarks this past Sunday from the White House, uh, he said, you know, we want to partner with the Muslim American communities to root out extremism. And we applaud his uh, remarks for that. And we're so thankful that he said, don't persecute Muslims. They're our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our sports heroes. Mm -hmm. And that goes to show you that we are in a very critical moment within the nation's history where, you know, some Muslims are saying what he said is divisive and it's Islamophobic, it's racist. But what he said is very real. You know, there are Muslims out there who need reform. You know, Prophet Muhammad himself said that there will come a time when uh, faith will have ascended to the Pleiades, mm. but it will be a man of Persian descent who will bring it back together. And that man was Mirza Ghulam Ahmed. So we are here to unite all Muslims and non-Muslims to understand that there is a world of true Islam and a world of extremists. And once we understand the, the world of true Islam, that ideology, that is what will destroy, figuratively speaking, extremism. So effectively, you're in support of what the West is doing uh, to eradicate ISIS. In regards to the, the warfare mm -hmm. and the, the missiles, unfortunately, what we've seen is that the, the killing of so many involves killing of innocents. Uh, it happened in Iraq and Afghanistan, and as a result of that, ISIS has risen. And we, don't, we didn't expect anything would be worse than the Taliban or Al-Qaeda, but we got ISIS. Right. And if we go that same route, we are in, in line for something worse than ISIS. Mm -hmm. So the leadership of ISIS has to be taken out, of course, what, what, in whatever way the government will. But it needs to be done decisively. It needs to be done very intelligently mm -hmm. because there are too many innocents. Even one innocent killed is too many. Okay. You know, In Islam and as well in Judaism, we believe that the killing of an innocent is like the destruction of mankind. Right. And it truly is. Well, earlier I'd said, you know, there were 24 um, Muslim uh, soldiers. I was wrong. Um, it's actually, I was referring to the um, military academy at West Point. There were 24 cadets out of the 4,000 cadets at, at West Point who were Muslim. Excellent. That's so, a great number, too. That's, yeah, West Point is a beautiful place. But you think it's too low? Uh, it could always be more. 
Mm. But that's a, it's a great start. It's a great it's start. A great yes, start. It and is. They, they are role models for other Muslims and yeah. other Americans. Yeah. We, we keep talking about, you know, um, Amadia having a dialogue. And I think that's great. But are you having dialogue with Muslim radicals and extremists as well? And in trying to sort of convince them that what they are following, what they are doing is not Islam. So when it comes to radicals, mm. that's where we're uh, eliciting the support of everybody. We need to let everybody know if you have somebody in your social group mm. who might be going towards radical ideology, tell them to stop and tell them to know that this true Islam exists and we are just as reachable as ISIS or other extremists are. In fact, we're right here. We're in America and we are we are not using our energy to kill others. We are using energy to save others, to help others, and to create communities. You know, in the Quran, it says, be kind to your neighbors. Mm. That neighbor does not have an asterisk on it. It doesn't say only your Muslim neighbors or only your faithful neighbors. And it doesn't say only the people next door. You know, your neighbor could be somebody you're just standing next to in line. So with this beautiful teaching, we need to let the youth know. And I, I, I'm, to the youth who are listening... Come join us. Join our efforts. Make your parents happy. As part of the focus and energy that you guys spend in, in, in creating a better understanding of Islam, have you ever considered spending time working with the intelligence agencies to pull out the radical Muslim element that's polluting your religion? Yes, and our mosques are all open mm. to the authorities. Uh, when our mosque in Connecticut was attacked, we had the FBI, state police, uh, ATF, you know, in and out of our mosque, you know, open doors. Uh, we had no grievances. And in fact, they were asking, are there, you know, some things we shouldn't take pictures of or is there a place we shouldn't go? We said, no, completely open. You know, do whatever you like. And we are uh, uh, we, we encourage other mosques to open their doors to everybody, whether they're government or not, because we don't have anything to hide. Have you had instances where um, the sort of effort that you've made with, with the intelligence agencies has actually resulted in an element of success of eradicating some sort of radicalism or extremism out? Not yet, mm. but that's because we work ourselves to make sure that extremist ideology never even sets foot in our mosques. And that's because we educate our youth mm -hmm. on the teachings of true Islam. You know, we tell them what Prophet Muhammad and his people went through and how ruthlessly they were persecuted for the first 13 years in Mecca. And they never responded with violence. In fact, they left. They left Mecca and they traveled to Medina so that they could practice freedom of religion. So if we faced something like that today, we need to fa uh, deal with it with patience and with fortitude. And, and the community support we receive across America is amazing. From who? Non-Muslims. Mm-hmm. When we had the open mosque in Connecticut and other open mosque events throughout the country, dozens, scores of people show up to show their support. Every religion has politics. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure the Muslim religion has politics among the individuals who conduct it. Uh, you guys have, you guys are a minority within your religion, right? There are about 1.6 billion, 1.8 billion Muslims in the world. Um, and you guys actually maybe, what, less than 5%? Of that? Well, size doesn't matter. 
I mean, think about America. America is less than 4% of the world's population. Mm-hmm. And look how powerful America is. Well, size would matter if you guys were the majority. You'd be telling me, oh, look how great we are. We're, we're all over the place. But what I'm trying to get at is within your uh, Muslim communities, why is it that you guys have a relatively small percentage of, of your certain belief within Islam. Whereas in today's world, with all that's going on, you should be getting a rush of applications, so to speak, to join you guys. Because if the majority of Muslims believe in peace, and that is what you believe in, I would have thought you guys would have flourished. We are. We're in over 200 nations. We're the single largest unified Mm. Muslim organization. You were talking earlier about leadership. Mm. And the reason why we have progressed so quickly in such a short amount of time and continue to progress is because of that khalifa, because of leadership. Every year, tens of thousands of people from around the world join the community. But you're everywhere except Pakistan. We're in Pakistan as well. Is it? Yes, we are. Well, are you guys recognized in Pakistan? We're recognized as non-Muslim in Pakistan. In yeah, I don't get that. Yeah. What, 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 how can someone tell you what you are and what you're not? So Pakistan, What is the politics there? Pakistan was originally founded as a secular nation by Muhammad Ali Jinnah. And mm. then when uh, the Islamic clerics like Maududi they were actually against the creation of Pakistan. But once they saw what they could do with it, they came in and they changed it to the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. Mm. And then through that, they uh, made a constitutional amendment to the nation's constitution that Ahmadis cannot call themselves Muslims. They will face uh, a fine or imprisonment. And the penal code even says that they can face death for calling themselves Muslims. What Muslim. is it that you guys are doing that's peeing them off? We believe that uh, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad was a prophet, mm-hmm. and they believe that Ma- Prophet Muhammad was the last prophet, that the door to prophethood is completely closed. However, we believe that there's two different types. There's law bearers, people who bring new laws, and there's people who reform the people to come back to the law. Mm. As we can see, there's a lot of Muslims who have gone away from the law. And so we have Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, who was a reformer prophet, to bring people back to Islam. And they say, hey— that makes you a non-Muslim. But we don't care because we believe that faith is in God's jurisdiction and only God can decide and declare who is and is not a Muslim. So it's all about the interpretation of the Quran. Basically, one specific verse, yeah. It all comes down to one verse. So much ado about one verse. Much ado about one verse, right? Wow. And it goes also back to what Prophet Muhammad himself said. He said when he was doing the census, mm. write down for me the name of everyone who calls himself a Muslim because that's all it took for him. So why is that not good enough for anybody else? How do you think the American Muslims, taking you out of the Ahmadiyya, just as a Muslim now, uh, how do you think they can project their loyalty to ordinary Americans? Because right now, you know, you, you yourself said there's a mist. I'm talking about lifting that veil. What, what do you think practically um, you and your community, your brothers and sisters, can, can do to help alleviate? And I'm not talking about being religious now, mm-hmm. so don't give me a quote from the prophet or anything, but I'm just talking about, you know, day-to-day life. What, what could you guys do? That takes away this fear. Get involved, whether it's on a PTA for your, lo- for your child's school mm-hmm. 
or the town council, you know, maybe run for office, uh, participate in neighborhood activities. Right. Just be outside. You know, don't stay inside your house watching TV, playing video games. Now is the time more than ever to join different hobby groups, uh, not Wahhabi groups, hobby groups like, you know, drawing or painting, playing soccer. Mm-hmm. Make yourself known. And that will change the tide of how Muslims are perceived in this country. So within the Ahmadiyya, do you actually then preach that, that we need to, we guys need to get out? Yes. In the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, our youth uh, participate in soup kitchens, uh, and they work with other faiths and people of no faith mm-hmm. to serve to the needy. Uh, we donate uh, turkeys during Thanksgiving. We give out gifts uh, to those who can't afford them during Christmas. Uh, and this lets people know, oh, you're a Muslim and you're doing this? Oh, I guess I was wrong. And it, it's really helping people change. So you actually then give gifts during Christmas? Yes. So you're very tolerant of other people's faith? Completely tolerant. And not only tolerant, but accepting. Accepting. Accepting of them having their faith and encouraging them too. Do you find resistance to that from not Ahmadiyya Muslims, other Muslims? Do they come to you and say, what are you doing? And then... There are some Muslims out there who say, oh, you shouldn't say Merry Christmas because oh, we don't God. believe that. Yeah. But yet they want people to say Happy Eid when we have our Eid. Mm. And it makes us feel happy when people who aren't Muslims say, hey, Happy Eid, because, oh, you acknowledge my faith and my holiday. Right, right. But that doesn't make you a Muslim. You don't, you don't become a Muslim by saying Happy Eid. Just the same, you don't become a Christian by saying Merry Christmas or a Jewish person by becoming ha- saying Happy Hanukkah. It makes people feel good that you are recognizing their faith and their right. holiday. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, wishing someone in their festive greeting doesn't convert you. Not at all. In fact, my, my college roommate, I, I, was, I served as the president of the Muslim Youth uh, Organization on my college campus. He, my Christian roommate would never attend our events because he was afraid that eating our food would turn him into a Muslim. Hmm. That's not how it works. No, it doesn't, no. What, what is it about Obama's recent presidential address that resonated with you guys? When President Obama said that, you know, Muslims are our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, it was like he came through the TV and gave us a warm hug. And when he said, you know, don't persecute the Muslims, he gave a message to all of America, no matter what minority group you're in, because everybody's essentially in some sort of minority. It's that we're not going to persecute the Muslims because that is not who we are. And we're not going to persecute any group because that is not what America is about. Well, I don't think Trump wants to persecute the Muslims, but I think he just wants to make life a little more difficult. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, persecution can be in uh, small doses, too. Uh, that could be the start of something worse. Uh, a lot of people are likening what he's saying to how Hitler rose as well. So this type of hateful rhetoric that is coming from Trump and others needs to be uh, stopped. People, they, what was your opinion on what Paul Ryan responded to Trump? Paul Ryan, so the Republican Party responded in a very interesting way. They, mm. you know, they rejected what he said, but they would still accept him if he got the nomination. You know, or which you must have found strange. Yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Mm. It, it, it's like I, I condemn you, but you know, come back, come into my house anytime. What would you have liked to have seen? I well, I mean, I don't want to get involved in politics. I, that's above my pay grade. But I would have liked to. Have no, seen but you're a strong representative of the community and uh, the, the religion as a whole in America. So, what would you have liked to have seen? 
I would like to have seen uh, people take a harder approach mm-hmm. to the hateful rhetoric that was uh, displayed by uh, Mr. Trump. And this could be something as simple as Lindsey Graham coming to a mosque or Rubio attending a Friday prayer service and mm-hmm. saying, listen, you know, you, and make it a press, press event. You know, let the press come and see what he's doing. Uh, like, listen, I'm coming to this local mosque. I'm letting them know that what he's saying is not representative of Republicans or of Americans. And those actions will speak louder than Trump's hateful words. Yeah, very powerfully said. We come to the end of the show, my friend. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and wisdom with us. And Vip, I just want to invite all of your listeners to mm. join us in our True Islam campaign. We have a website, trueislam.com. Muslim or non-Muslim, all the extremists are out to get us, no matter what your faith is. So we're all in this together. So going onto the website doesn't convert you either. It won't convert you, yeah. <laughs> Good afternoon, my friend. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be upon you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. A special shout-out of thanks to my dream team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. Your comments and your followers so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswell and my Facebook page, The Vip Jaswell Report. I wish you and your loved ones a fabulous evening. And until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.